Good morning. It's wonderful for me to be back. Marie and I were on vacation for a couple of weeks in the Holy Land, Southern California. And, uh, <laughs> um, but what a joy it is to be back and, and be, with, be with us as a church. I want to start with a question today, and the, and the question is this. Have you or will you try to remember when at some point in your life some information hit you that just blew your mind, that you didn't expect it at all? It, it might have been a husband getting a call from the wife who says, honey, we are pregnant, okay? It, it might be the 20-something who has been working hard to get a job, hasn't been able to find one, and that text comes through, you're hired, come in next Monday. It could be something like that. It can be something horrendous. It, 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 can, be, uh, it, it can be like when I knocked on the door of the young man and woman who were in one of my classes that I was teaching at a seminary, and I was gonna have dinner with them, and they, they just didn't come to the door. And, and then finally they did, and, the, and he just looks me in the eyes, he says, did you see it? And I go, what? And it was, it, was the, that was, it was that nighttime bombing of Iraq when we engaged in war again. It just oh, kind of knocks the air right out of you. Good things, bad things. Okay, what Jesus says to his listeners today knocks the air out of them. They didn't think this was coming. We've been talking about the inauguration speech of Jesus Christ when he lays his platform before the world. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it starts with eight great statements of, uh, called the Beatitudes, what we can be in Jesus Christ. And boy, one is good, two is three, four, five, six. They're going right along and all of them were good for the be. They go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy, if God could make me like that. Oh, if God could make me like that, that would be good. But then comes the seventh one. And it just knocked them uh, into a somersault. Here's what it is. Look on the screen. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now you gotta roll back 2,000 years to start to get the shock of this statement. These people that are listening, five to 10,000 strong, Jesus' own 12 disciples, this is like a crash practicum seminary course right here. He's laying out what he's about as the Messiah. And the last thing in the world they expect is he's going to say, peace. They wanted a Messiah of war. 600 years of occupational forces if they haven't been occupied, they've been driven to foreign lands where they've been governed. They long to be God's people. They long for freedom. They long for peace. And they're sure that Jesus is going to say, blessed are those who stand with me to make war. We will make wrong right. He doesn't say that. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. The zealots who were over at the side listening to Jesus, sharpening their swords, ready to go. They must have just dropped them. What? The generals from the armies 
that were friends of the leaders who have been saying, this could be the guy, this could be the guy. What? Peace, peace, peace. You remember the 60s? Those of you that were alive and even those of you that weren't still know this symbol. There it is. If you want to know the etymology of that symbol, come and see me later. But the point is, for those of us that were part of the beautiful people, uh, that symbol meant peace. Peace. Well, it, it didn't emanate in the 60s. It emanated from Jesus Christ. Blessed are peacemakers. Now, you can kind of understand, we need it. I mean, the world is just flat out not working. We need peace. Um, we live real close to one of the beautiful cemeteries in our area. It's called Glen Oaks. And on Friday night, after I'd finished studying, I just went for a walk run through our cemetery. And I suppose there are maybe, maybe 2,000 headstones in there. I don't know. It might not be that many. Uh, precious people. I've studied them when people were born. When they die, you see their families next to them. It tells you a lot about life. But uh, somebody came through on Friday during the day. It must have been the Veterans Association or somebody. And they put a beautiful American flag next to every gravestone that someone had served in the military. It was at least half of them. It shocked me. It was at least half. See, it isn't just people that died in the wars. It's those that survived the wars and paid the penalty the rest of their lives for what they carried in their memories. Some of you are probably like that. It, th th this war thing, this trying to keep peace in the world has been so dominant that in our little cemetery, at least half of the residents there, quiet group, incidentally, never bother us, <laughs> but at least half, part of that. Billy Graham says that uh, in 4,000 years of recorded history, there have been no more than 300 years where there is any historical record of not being a war. Uh, and that led me to start studying some other stuff, and I started looking up again the League of Nations. You know, world, after World War I, we'll come together, we'll form peace. Then there was this Kellogg Pact that was made. I know, Kellogg, K-E-L-L-O-G-G, -L -L had nothing to do with... Um, uh, cornflakes. Uh, it, was, it was our Secretary of State. He pulled nations together after World War I. 1928, they came together, Japan, Germany, France, etc., etc., United States, and they signed a pact. Listen to this. It outlawed war. Nice idea. Okay, here's how we stop it. We make a law against it. Well, it was idealistic, wasn't it? That was 1928, the Kellogg Pact. There's not going to be any more war. We've passed a law against it, the nations of the world. 1928. 1931, J Japan attacks Manchuria. 1939, Hitler. Um, the United Nations, League of Nations, all the attempts. What our Department of State trying to do right now in the Middle East, in Iran, on and on and on and on and on, Nigeria, on and on and on and on and on. I uh, found some stuff written by the early developers of the nuclear bomb. You know the name Robert Oppenheimer? He was really strategic in, in the first functional nuclear bomb. 
And Oppenheimer was before a congressional committee after the development of the bomb and it had been dropped and such. And uh, somebody asked him, he says, now, is there any defense against a nuclear bomb? Is there any defense? And Oppenheimer says, certainly, certainly. And the congressman or whoever it was says, well, what is it? How do we defend against it? Think of the Cold War. How do we defend against it? And this text says that Oppenheimer leaned into the microphone and he got very soft. He said, peace. That's the only way you'll defend against it. Einstein was a part of that whole thing. And I found this quote from, from Dr. Einstein. He said this, the unleashed power of the atom has changed everything except our way of thinking. We shall require a substantially new manner of thinking if mankind is to survive. And after he made that statement, a little bit later, a photographer uh, saw him kind of by himself, just really forlorn, and the photographer went up to him, and he said, Dr. Einstein, so you don't believe that there will ever be peace? And Einstein said, no. As long as there will be men, there will be war. It isn't just humans, and it isn't just what we do to each other. Even creation itself, even nature itself is at warfare. Supernovas, planets colliding, entropy, everything wearing down, disorder, climate change, on and on and on. It's like even, even creation itself is groaning. And isn't that what the Apostle Paul says? Creation itself is groaning longing for the coming of the children of God. This is the world we live in. Everything defaults to conflict. Everything. And in the midst of this, Jesus dares to say, blessed are the peacemakers. Peace. Let's talk about that word for a second or two here. Peace. It's a, it's a beautiful world word. It's a, it's a massive idea. It has multiple layers attached to it. And I, and I can only begin to deal with it in 35 minutes. The ancient Hebrew word, however, was shalom. Did you know that for peace? Shalom. We've got a definition for it here today. The definition of shalom, the Hebrew, or peace in the English. I like what William Barclay has said. Everything that makes for the highest good. That's pretty good, isn't it? Everything that makes for the highest good. Now, some of you are going, huh? Aren't you? Are you going, huh? We could all do it together. Huh? All right. Because our immediate thought when we hear the word peace is, I get a peaceful, easy feeling. That, you know, that it's an emotion. We really like it when we have it. We wish we had it more, but I'm not talking about the emotion today. That is part of what peace is, but it's not what Jesus is driving at. Jesus is driving at something harsher, truer, purer. Jesus is talking about a shalom, a peace that is a harmony in relationships that encapsulates a well-being, physical wellness, 
uh, sufficiency, enough food and shelter. It's talking, the, the, the word is talking about a massive sort of flourishing that God desires in all human endeavor and even in his earth itself, a flourishing. Where justice reigns to the point where no one remembers what it was to be unjust. That word is massive, flourishing of all things, everything that makes for the highest good. That's this beautiful word. When, when you say to someone, peace, or I give you the blessings of Christ, you are, you are wishing them shalom, a flourishing, the highest good of everything. Ah, it's great. But how do we make it happen? Because Jesus' word makes it clear he wants this to happen. Do you have it before you in, Luke, in Matthew chapter 5? I, I had it on the screen. Might want to have it in front of you. I'm going to do a lot of text uh, today, but there it is, just as clear as can be. You see it there in verse 9, chapter 5 of Matthew. See it there? Verse 9, chapter 5 of Matthew. Blessed are the, get ready to respond, everybody. Blessed are the peace. Let's do it again. Blessed are the peace. Notice what it doesn't say. Blessed are the peace lovers. All you need is love. Blessed are the peace longers. Blessed are the peace desirers. Blessed are the peace wishers. No. Jesus says, blessed, happy, whole are peacemakers. See the thrust of my fist there? Makers. This is an action word. This is do it language. Blessed are those who make peace happen in my world. That's what God's about. And if we are his people, that's what we are about. It's an active term. The first six Beatitudes are all talking about internal realities in us. This seventh is not. It's flat out world changing stuff. Interesting. Let's keep looking at it. Look at this text, 1 Peter 3, 11 and 12. 1 Peter 3, 11 and 12. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. I put that in bold caps there because I love the verb pursue. Seek peace. Pursue peace. And then look at the promise. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. As, as we join Jesus Christ in becoming peacemakers in his world, we have the, the, the promise. Let your imaginative mind grab this for a second. Lay your reason aside. Just let your imaginative mind take over. They both matter. They're both very important. Okay, your imagination, God's eyes, God's ears are attentive to you when you are pursuing peace. When you are pursuing justice, you're flat on mark 
with God's will for the world and he loves you and he cares about you and he is with you and he hears your prayers and he will be your strength as you relentlessly pursue peace, flourishing, as you relentlessly pursue everything that makes for the highest good in our world. And the reason I camp on that for a second is because you really need to know he's with you. Because this peacemaking he's talking about here is not peaceful. It produces conflict. It steps into the middle of relationships and it suggests that conflict won't work. It steps in the middle of groups and says, it shouldn't be this way. It looks at what is wrong with the world and says, we've got to make it right. And so, Jesus gives another picture word in the verse I'm going to put up for you right now. This is very important, and I think it substantiates what I just tried to say. Matthew 10, 34. Do not suppose I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace. I bring a sword. Huh? I mean, he's just said, be peacemakers. Peace, peace, peace. It's all over the Bible. And then, in Matthew 10, he says, I didn't really come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Maybe the zealots were right. <laughs> Sharpening their swords, getting ready to go to battle. No, 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 no. I really believe that what Jesus is suggesting there, and if you read beyond verse 34 of Matthew 10, you'd see that what Jesus, Jesus' idea, Jesus' person, Jesus' message is going to cause conflict everywhere. It's going to stir things up, even in families. And if you will, I hope this works, if you will, what he's been talking about in the first six Beatitudes, I got this from Rob last week as I listened to him online while I was running a 10K uh, and, and wondering if I'd make it. But I did, Kyle. Kyle, I made it. Two 10Ks in the last week. Kyle's making me do this long run. He's a mean young man. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so I'm listening intently to Rob, and Rob says the, the, the Beatitudes are really the foundation for Christian heroes. Yeah, all of those qualities in us. And if you will, thinking of hero language, heroes are involved in making wrong right. Jesus isn't talking about a literal sword, but he's talking about Christian heroes in, in, that are, that are God-saturated, that are beatitude-filled, that have the fruit and, and, the, and the gifts of the Spirit. They become a sword on earth. A sword of grace, a sword of truth, a sword of getting in the middle of messes to make things right with him in them. It, it, it's not easy stuff. So I wanted you to know that his eyes are on you, his ears are attentive to your prayers, he is within you as you move toward becoming a peacemaker. Because it's not easy stuff at all. 
Not at all. Now, military swords have their purposes. Guns and tanks have their purposes. And in an evil world, sometimes evil acts can only be stopped by violence. I get that. I'm not, I'm not against that. But I'm not speaking to West Point. I'm speaking to the largest institution on planet Earth, the Church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus has created us as the largest army on the planet. But we have other weapons. We have the God-saturated life. We have his truth. We have his grace. We have his gifts. We have his graces, his fruit, his beatitudes. And that's enough, according to Jesus, to be a peacemaker. And you say, okay, Lon, enough on that level. Get practical. Okay, I'm going to try. As, as I've pondered this thing of what a peacemaker is, I think it works on four levels. And so that's what I'm going to give you now for the, the last 15 minutes of the message. Um, this, this, this becoming part of God's great army, pushing back darkness, longing for everything to come to its highest good. Uh, How does it happen? Four levels of peacemaking. One, making peace with God. That's the first one. If you haven't done that yet, I'll tell you about that in just a moment. Number two, coming to peace with others. Especially those you know and have some level of affection for. Making peace with others in your circles of nearness. Third level of peacemaking is making peace among others. Sometimes the problem isn't you but it's two of your good friends who are at war with one another. Sometimes it isn't you, Dad. It's, it's your wife and your daughter. Sometimes it... I want to make sure I'm gender understanding here. Sometimes, sometimes it isn't you, Mother. It is uh, your husband and the son. Sometimes it isn't you, but uh, uh, when you get together with your friends, two of them won't talk can be in a neighborhood part of our peacemaking mission is to help bring reconciliation everywhere we'll talk about it more in a minute and finally the fourth one is peace on the larger global sense making a difference wherever there is brokenness bringing justice where there is wrongness okay all right let's uh, I want to take those on one at a time first of all peace with God Romans 5, verse 10. For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now let me read it one more time. For if, while we were God's enemies, we'll come back to that, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? There are some of you here, 5, 10, 50 of you, I don't know. But you're unaware that if you're not reconciled with God, you are enemies of God. You didn't know that. You don't like that. What? God's my enemy? Yes. 
And it's not that he chooses to make you. I says, you are my enemy, says God. No, no, no. We make God our enemy. When we choose to not choose to be with God, we are alienating God. When we choose to not let God lead our lives, we stand against God. And that's the worst of all possible situations. And so one of the great uses of the word peace is getting peace with God. And that only comes through what God has done for us when he gave his own son to shed his blood that we might be forgiven for our rebellion and that if we come to him, we are restored in a reconciled relationship. A new life starts to happen. You see, our hearts are desperately wicked. Rob spent about 10 or 15 minutes on this last week. I'm not going to do any more with it, but... He made a great point that there's nothing in me that is purely pure. <laughs> that even at my best, there's some taintedness. And at my worst, there's a lot of taintedness. But when you confess your sins to Jesus Christ, he forgives your sins and he indwells you and makes you a brand new person inside so you start to turn away from the sin life. Look at James 4.1 from the message. James chapter 4 verse 1. Where do you think all the appalling wars and quarrels come from in our world? You think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and you fight for it deep within yourselves. You see, you can't pass a law to say there'll be no war because of the human heart. There's division and rebellion going on all the time. God knew that. In order to make a new society, God wants to create a new soul. And if you haven't experienced that, don't leave here today without it. We'll have prayer people right down here. You just come to them and you say, I want to make peace with God. I want the new soul. I want to turn from the darkness in my life. Now, that's the five or 50 of you. For the other 1,000 of you that are here, hear me. There is nothing on earth that matters more than helping people find peace with God. There is nothing on earth that matters more. That's why we're still here. Our number one assignment is to help people who are far from God come to God. And you can do this. Say, I don't know how to do it. I understand. Billy Graham can do it. No, he can't. He's 96. He can't do it anymore. <laughs> oh, well, we hired you, Lon. You're an evangelist. Oh, I can't do it. I'm not very good at it, number one. And number two, there's only one of me. But like Peter, Paul, and Mary sang, but if two and two and 50 make a million, we'll see this world turn around. You and you and you and you and you and you and you, all knowing the Christ story, all having the willingness to go to people who aren't at peace with God and tell them about Jesus Christ. This is our primary calling. The end of this summer, 
Actually, in our adult communities, we're producing a series of six small videos that will help teach you how to help people come to peace with God. I hope you'll be here for those. But if not, you'll be able to find them online too. Nothing matters more. Peace with God. Number two, peace with others. Matthew chapter 5, 23 and 24. This is really interesting. Look at this, this text. Therefore, if you are at the 945 service at Wheaton Bible Church and you remember that your brother or sister or neighbor or co-worker has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and make your gift. You can always come back for the 11 uh, service. This, this reconciling with people in our lives with whom we are at enmity, with whom there is war, with whom there is mistrust. You can't, here's, what we, here's what we do if you're like me. Oh, it'll be fine. It'll be, it's not fine. Uh, when I was 20 years old, I had an ulcer. I was in the hospital for three weeks. And one of the things the Lord did, I had just come to know Jesus Christ and found peace with God. And while I was in the hospital, God started talking to me about people that I offended in my life. And there were 13 of them. I was only 20. I didn't realize how much damage I could do in just 20 years. But I mean, their faces, their names, the things I had done were so clear. And God was saying to me, when you get out of the hospital, you go make that right. And I set up 13 appointments. And I hated every one of them. But every one of them was magic. I mean, if you go as a humble person and say, I, I am so sorry for what I did. Here's what you don't say. I'm sorry for what I did. Now, you did more that was wrong, but I'm not here to talk about that. I, you don't do that. You just... You just take what you did. Here's what you can't do. Here's what we always want to do. Oh, uh, that person doesn't like me because I did stuff. Well, I'll just stuff that under here. On that, stuff, 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 stuff. There, everything's fine. No. Guilt, resentment, bitterness. I'm such a free person in Jesus Christ. <laughs> and you're carrying the weight of broken relationships around with you everywhere. God says, peacemakers, you go. Even if you've got to leave the worship service. Not during the sermon. Uh, yeah, that'd be fine with me too. Now, we did this in the first hour, and it was very, very powerful. You were given a uh, program folder when you came in. If not, there are like money envelopes on the back of the things and stuff. What I asked people to do is I said, who do you want to pursue peace with? in your life? Who have you been trying to put it under the rug, but you realize that's not God? And people just started writing down names. And this person, peace with Dolly, peace with Tom, peace with Sayward. Cheryl, who is it for you? As the service goes on, I invite you to take whatever kind of piece of paper you can. And at the end of the service, after I give the benediction, don't go that way, come this way. And just lay these before God as your commitment that you're going to pursue peace with people that matter in your life.
There it is. We're, we're not going to take these. We're not going to pray over these. This is between you and God. But come, bring them at the end of the service. Third level of peace. Peacemaking amongst others. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Making peace among others. Finally, brothers and sisters, be happy, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. You notice the sense of the, the community aspect of that passage? Strive for restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Get everyone to live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Remember that his eyes are on you. His ears are attentive when you become a peacemaker. Sometimes the problem is not you and a friend, as I said. Sometimes it's somebody else. Uh, it, it could be a neighbor. Um, uh, Marie and I are hopeful of having an um, uh, early summer block party that I'm hoping some of the neighbors will help us do. And we just want to get everybody together because before we even moved in, we knew that one neighbor was at enmity with some other neighbors. And so we just try to bring them together in the same place to see that they're all human. And that humans always hurt each other. That's why you got to forgive all the time. Who is God calling you to um, get in the mud with <laughs> in your life? It could, be, it could be in your workplace. Is somebody not being treated fairly? And are you tempted to say, well, that's not my business? I'm sorry. It is. You are a peacemaker. You are part of God's family. And there are times when there's just injustices going on, when there's unfairness that's happening, and God is saying, pray to me, I'll give you the way, and go get in the middle of it. Yeah, you won't often hear us saying, go get in the middle of it. Go get in the middle of it. There isn't a group of people everywhere, anywhere that doesn't hurt each other. And I think we'd even as church staff say that. Jill offends me all the time. <laughs> She's offended that I just said that publicly in front of a thousand people. It, it, you know, the, 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 te the texts often say, strive to be as peace, as, in peace as much as this is possible for you. I love that language. As much as it is possible. We're never going to get this all right. But it doesn't mean we don't strive for that. So God is also saying, Get involved in others' uh, irreconcilable differences and help them find restoration. It also means we don't get involved in gossiping. We don't get involved in backstabbing. Because when the person comes to you to complain about somebody else and you get involved with it, you're now participating in the alienation. Quit it. I still remember one of my dear friends... Oh, i got to quit here pretty quick. Um, it, was, it was a group of great Christian leaders, about 20 of us. And I don't know what happened. I don't remember the situation, but a bunch of us were sitting around talking. And I can't remember if we were backstabbing somebody or if it was just coarse talk and silly jesting. I don't know what it was. But one of the guys, it was my dear friend Doug Birdsall, he simply says, you guys... I'm really not comfortable with this conversation right now. 
I just think the things that we're talking about aren't honoring God. Will you have the guts as a peacemaker to stop sin in groups? And then finally the last one, and with this I move toward our closure, making peace on earth. Luke chapter 4, 18, 19. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, says Jesus Christ, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set oppressed people free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is the Magna Carta of peacemakers right there. That's what Jesus came to do, and now Jesus lives in you, and he says, go out there in your neighborhood, in your workplace, and in your world. Are we praying for Secretary Kerry right now as he's trying to negotiate another peace in what appears to be a peaceless Middle East? Are we praying? Are we hoping? Are, are we getting involved? I love what Chris invited us all to be involved in different ways in our local impact, tutoring children, helping refugees. Are we trying to, are, are we trying to talk? Uh, Jeff Walzer and I went to Washington, D.C. to meet with a couple of congressmen just to try to push for immigration fairness. This is peacemaking, bringing flourishing to the whole world. Well, friends, my time is up. But I did, would close with just this thought. It's really cool. This, I, I, saved, I saved the best for last. If you look back at our text again, blessed are the peacemakers. Look what it says next. For they will be called children of God. It's the only beatitude that gives you a title. Peacemakers are the children of God. Hi, my name's Lon Allison. I'm a child of God. Why? Because I'm out to make whatever is wrong right in a broken world. Let us pray. Father, unto you. Whew. This is such a large idea. Such a glorious one. Lord, make my brothers and sisters peacemakers. Make me one too. Grant us courage. Grant us courage to want to make everything that is wrong right, that makes for the highest good, that brings shalom to our families and to our worlds. And God, also be with my brothers and sisters here now, any of them that, that have broken relationships. Lord, enable them to make the commitment now to pursue peace as they write down the names and bring them forward. And then for anyone here who hasn't found peace with you, Lord, would you draw them to yourself even today? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.